Hey friends, are you familiar with the most trusted business network for business executives? It's the C-Suite Network. If you're a business of $5 million or greater, and if you're a VP level or higher, then you're invited to join the C-Suite Network to connect with your business peers. Go to c-suitenetwork.com, that's a c-suitenetwork.com, to learn more about the benefits, meetings, and services exclusive for C-Suite executives like you. Okay, let's do the show. It's time to Accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 457 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. A couple of quick items for you before we begin the show. Please right now take a minute, go to iTunes, really help us out if you could subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. And also, I'd love to hear from you if you have suggestions about topics or guests that you'd like me to include on Accelerate, then please drop me a note. Send it to accelerate.fm at gmail.com. Joining me on Accelerate today is Alex Berman, co-founder of Experiment 27. Experiment 27 provides lead generation services for digital agencies. And I'd read a blog post Alec had written about his sales journey as an entrepreneur, and I wanted to bring him on the show to share that with you. So, Alex Berman, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks for having me, Andy. Yeah, my pleasure. So, um, you're joining us from where today? I'm in Wichita, Kansas. Wichita, Kansas. Okay. Yeah, we see your deluxely furnished apartment behind you. <laughs> I just got a comment on a video the other day. It was like, hey, Alex, you should get some furniture. And I just commented on it. And I, was just, I just said the word no in all lowercase. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, a little bit minimalist right now. A little minimalist, not right now. So, tell us about that. So, you run a virtual company, but you're fairly virtual yourself. Yeah, so we're 11 people at Experiment 27 right now. Um, and yeah, everyone's a digital nomad. Uh, our two sales guys actually live in the same apartment together in LA. Yeah. But that was just a coincidence. And uh, yeah, my co-founder's in Mexico City. Um, we've got a bunch of people all around the US. Got it. And you actually pick up roots and move every month or so. That, that's the goal. Yeah. I was uh, living in full-time, I was living full-time in New York City for about a year and a half, two years. And when I decided to become an entrepreneur, um, that was like the first thing that I wanted to do was get rid of the office. So right. I, I kind of hated going into the office, yeah. especially when I was launching my company, I was waking up at like 7am and it just made me hate the office even more. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, I, I spoke to somebody earlier this week, uh, another guest who could come on the show, a gentleman named Paul Cortman, who's picked up his family. He runs a digital agency and yeah, they're, they're traveling through Central America uh, full-time. They sort of sold their house, and he runs his business from an RV near Cancun right now. So you're doing something similar. So what, what why, I guess? Why? Yeah. Um, so I'm in, I'm in Wichita specifically because I Googled the cheapest city in America. Right. Because uh, I was trying to keep my overhead as low as possible <laughs> while I started this company. Yeah. Um, but in general, I don't know. Like, I... What are you learning? I probably, like, I, that'd be the question. What are, you, what are you learning? So that was the original goal was to like learn about stuff. So the first city I moved after uh, working in New York was Las Vegas because I had read about, uh, this was right around the time that Zappos did that whole holacracy thing where mm -hmm. they reinvented mm -hmm. their management style. So I right. wanted to go learn about the downtown project and, and all that stuff. So I moved out there, met a bunch of people at the downtown project. I actually ended up meeting Tony Shea at uh, his, his bar that he goes to. Um, <laughs> 
And I learned a lot about, about that project. But then after that, I just stopped having goals and I just started moving to places I thought sounded cool. Yeah. So Chicago, LA, Las Vegas, that's or Las Vegas. Um, also cause I have family I ended up living in there twice in Las Vegas. Okay. Yeah. So and then San Francisco, San Francisco. Okay. So tell us some of the cool things you've done. Las Vegas, you had drinks with Tony Shea. <laughs> Um, what other cool things have <laughs> Me, you done? Me, Tony Shea, and some other girl that looked very uncomfortable, probably because she was on a date with him. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and don't there you were, having a drink with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Smooth, smooth, right? <laughs> so, uh, I was going to say, what's that, what's that say about your, your, your empathy? Um, so I kept it short. I just said, hey, okay. you're really That's awesome, good. and then I had to walk away, because I, I knew he was busy. All right, so some of the other cities. What are some of the key things, that uh, takeaways you'd have from those cities? Um... I mean, in LA, I realized I didn't really like the traffic, but the, yeah. the scene, what I found is like the tech scene in every city um, is growing. Uh, mm-hmm. Las Vegas at the time that I went there has probably the most nurturing tech scene. Uh, but recently I was out in St. Louis and St. Louis also has a very uh, welcoming uh, tech scene. I went out to a co-working space out there and the entire time uh, the two people I was with from that city had, were just trying to recruit me to move there the entire time. <laughs> Yeah, there are, and there are some uh, top ops out there. They're a uh, SaaS company or, yeah, I guess, or a, yeah, they've got an app that, that integrates with Salesforce, a uh, number of others, yeah. It's much yeah. more successful tech entrepreneurs out there. The main takeaway is just, so we were talking about this a little bit before we started, but if you don't have to go into an office and you don't really have to be interfacing with your co- with your customers besides Skype and, and phone, mm-hmm. uh, the place you live actually doesn't really matter. And all of all the cities in America have just started to like blend together for me now. Yeah, well, sort of my question about what you've done uniquely in each each city, because I, I can see where they would blend together, but on the other hand, yeah, they all, all are all different as well, right? Yeah, for sure. In, yeah. in their own ways. Yeah. All right, so... Just final travelogue question is, so, favorite thing you've had to eat in Wichita? So there's not really a, uh, oh, actually, I got one. Okay. So there's this uh, one barbecue place that does uh, barbecue prime rib. So I, I'm a big prime rib fan. Um, and normally, I just have it the normal way, which right. is baked. But this place, will uh, they'll smoke the prime rib. So it tastes almost like you're eating a brisket or something. Oh. But it looks like, like a prime, prime rib. rib. And it, yeah, and... Uh, I um I remember looking at it and it looks like the finest prime rib you'll ever eat. Like if if you were served this at a steakhouse, yeah. like it's perfectly medium rare, like the color is right and everything. But the, but pink, the, taste is from is, smoke, the pink is from smoking probably though, right? Exactly. Yeah. And the taste is completely different than any other prime rib. Like it, it really does taste like, like a brisket or ribs or something. Ah, a young man's diet. I like that. So. <laughs> yeah, all prime rib, all meats. <laughs> all prime rib, all meats all the time. All right. So. Tell us why you started Experiment. Well, tell us a little bit about Experiment 27. Tell us why you started it. Sure. So Experiment 27, we do marketing, but it's only for mobile app development agencies, UX, UI design, branding. Mm-hmm. So any professional services type of agency uh, will come in as an outsourced chief marketing officer and run their team, um, either through consulting or through uh, the actual application. And the reason why I started it is I was a junior sales guy at this agency called Dom and Tom. Sure. Uh, there are about 44 people. Right. Uh, based in New York. Right. And when I was a sales guy there, uh, all, all four salespeople on the team were, were fueled by inbound leads. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking at the analytics, um, I noticed we were only getting 14 leads a month through our website. So those 14 leads a month were fueling the entire business, uh, besides like word of mouth and, and that sort of stuff. So they didn't do any so, proactive outbound. 
Yeah, no proactive outbound and really no proactive inbound either. Like there was no marketing strategy at all. Sure. So I pitched uh, Tom, who was the CEO over there, founder over there, um, on taking over their marketing. And he moved me from being a sales guy to a consultant um, and gave me a little bit, of, a little marketing budget of 5K a month that I was also, right. supposed to, also supposed to live off of. But within 30 days, I got their leads up to 40 a mm-hmm. month from 14. And within six months, uh, we ended up adding a million dollars in closed business to their bottom line, which is... 16% of their company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we ended up growing them by 16%. Um, and now they're up over 150 leads a month. And actually the agency this year uh, went from, it was 50 people at the beginning of the year. Now they're almost at 100. They're at 98 people. They've got two offices in uh, New York and Chicago. I want to say it's because of the, the lead gen efforts that, that allowed them to grow so much. All right. So you then decided to start take that and spin it off into your own. Yeah. Well, so it was all it was always kind of my own because he made me a contractor and I, I think oh, okay. he paid me a little bit less than a livable wage on purpose <laughs> that I'd be forced to get other clients. Right. Especially in New York um, City, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the first thing I did was I tried to hire a bunch of vendors to do the work for me, like fully outsourced, right? Right. Um, what I found is the vendors, even though the ones uh, even though they said they understood the agency business, almost none of them had a good agency case study and they all failed. So we ended up uh, hiring a pay-per-click vendor. Uh, that was really good at SaaS, but couldn't sell our product. We mm-hmm. had one cold email that didn't work. Um, so long story short, I had to hire a team internal uh, in order to actually succeed at the project. And that mm-hmm. team became the Experiment 2017. Got it. So these are all contractors to you or full-time employees? Uh, they're full-time now. But our company's grown pretty quick. Just in the last eight months, we've gone from just me and my co-founder who... Uh, was actually just an employee before he became co-founder. And now we're up to over 11 people. Um, we're at about 400,000 ARR. Um, and I'm hoping to get it to 2 million ARR at the end of this year. Okay, excellent. Yeah, and then uh, 20 next year, right? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> 200, 2 million, 20. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I think that's what you said in this article we're going to talk about. So so you you wrote an article about how to grow and scale your sales team. So you started the company doing all the sales. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so what did that day look like for you? Uh, so when I first started the company, it was me getting up at, I said 7 a.m. It was probably earlier. It's probably like 6.30. Uh, going into the Dom and Tom office where I worked, um, no one would be in the office till about 10. So mm-hmm. I had about two hours. Um, and, and I would sit there uh, building lists and sending cold emails like for two hours. Uh, I didn't really have time to take client calls. So that was right around the time when I was transitioning. Sure. So I couldn't even really hop on calls unless, they, unless I was like, taking away from my work. So that was what my original day looked like. So what did, um, what did your cold emails look like in terms of maybe in terms of what you learned doing those, but yeah, it's a huge topic these days in sales about cold emails and, and what makes and what constitutes a, an effective cold email. So what, what did you learn about that? What, what made an effective cold sure. email? So, the article you're talking about is um, it's how I went from zero to 400k RR in uh, 30 days, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, yeah I think so. Or growing and scaling your sales team, something like that. Growing and scaling your sales team. Okay. So uh, the thing, the main thing that I actually learned was uh, what's in the cold email matters, but what actually matters is the targeting of the email. So if you're not sending to people who need your service, and I know this sounds super simple, if you're not sending to people who need your service, uh, the emails aren't actually going to matter. Like you can have the best email ever and it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first thing I tried to figure out was what are people that are going to be a good fit for Experiment 27 showing online? What are their indicators that are going to make them a good fit for us? And what I realized was if you're trying to market your digital agency, one of the first things you're going to do is search best digital agencies and see what pops up. 
And what popped up were these directories. So sites like Clutch.co, top interactive agencies that just listed the top agencies in any city. Mm -hmm. And I realized that you have to pay for placement on most of those directories. So any agency that's hungry enough for new leads that they're paying for sponsorship uh, is probably going to be a good fit. So I started out emailing those. So that's the first takeaway. And so your your targets again were... So my target is uh, any digital agency. Um, it used to be with over $2 million in revenue. Now mm-hmm. it's over $10 million in revenue mm-hmm. um, with no director of marketing or marketing team. Okay. You said something so, before about mobile. I just wasn't sure where that fit in. Uh, so they're digital agencies. Um, they do mobile app development. So Android and iOS okay. development, right. uh, branding, UX, UI. Right. Okay. So that was it hard to build a list. Doesn't seem like it would be in that case. So it's not hard to build a list once you find the, or once I found the place where all these people were listed. Right. Um, that's that's why I always recommend that as as the first thing. Right. Find out where you can find these pockets uh, where your customers are actually listed. Um, if it's not LinkedIn, that's that's better, right? Mm-hmm. If it's something that that your co- that your other competitors aren't looking at, um, that's also better. Now, Clutch, like everyone on Clutch and these other directories, get spammed hardcore. Right. But when I was doing it about a year ago, uh, it was a lot less, <laughs> so I was able to get through. Um, and then the second takeaway is, yeah, craft the email in a way uh, that's going to get them to actually respond. Um, the way that, that I did it was I like to send two ideas. Um, and in order to send these two ideas in a scalable way, uh, I thought about what, what are two things that I could say right away to a digital agency owner that are going to make them perk up, right? Because mm-hmm. I always like to assume that uh, any services company um, has a ton of competitors because services sure. businesses are some of the easiest to start up. So every one of your customers is getting pitched constantly and is probably buying from and getting burned by com- people that are very similar to you. So mm-hmm. a digital agency owner has worked with, I'm assuming, like three or four other marketing agencies by this point, And they all suck, obviously, because I worked with these marketing agencies right. and I knew that they're all bad. So, so what two ideas can, can I say that are going to get them impressed enough to, uh, to answer the email? Okay. And because they're digital agency owners, I can come up with the same ideas and send them out to the same list. So my two ideas were... Number one, if you optimize your clutch profile uh, and you get on the first page, you can start seeing about 100 leads a month. And we did that for Dom and Tom. So mm-hmm. that was my first case study was I was able to get Dom and Tom to the top. So I called that out in the first idea. Second idea was if you are getting a lot of leads um, that you don't know what to do with, so a lot of these smaller trash projects, mm-hmm. uh, you can actually reach out to small agencies and send them those projects. And I can help you come up with a, a partnership program for that. Because I did something similar at Dom and Tom. So those are my two ideas. And when somebody saw those, uh, then they were going to be a lot more likely to respond. So what did you leave as a call to action in the email? Uh, does that, okay, so the actual email was framed like this. So it was like, you know, uh, the subject line was question about company or about company and experiment 27. Okay. Uh, and then the actual email was like, hey, Mark, uh, came across Dom and Tom, really impressed with the work you did on Priceline. So calling out a specific app, um, I'm Alex Berman, and I'm head of growth for Experiment 27. We do marketing for digital agencies. Off the bat, here are two marketing ideas you can try. Mm-hmm. And I literally wrote them. Number one, here's this. Number two, here's this. Right. Uh, I'd love to hop on a quick call to talk about potentially doing marketing for you know company, for Dom and Tom. Mm-hmm. Does that sound like something you might be interested in? If so, I can send over a few times for a quick call. Thanks, right. Alex. Very simple. Okay. I think it was five sentences. I always try to go for five sentences or less. Okay. And... Did you suggest specific times that you wanted to talk to them? No. Um, so the main thing you want to know when you're sending to busy people, which I learned from Ramit Sethi probably four years ago, is the less 
um, decisions they have to make, the better. So really, all you're trying to do is get buy-in. So you're so does that sound interesting? Yes, it does. And if they say yes, then you send the times, right? You're not okay. saying, hey, do any of these three times work? Uh, because that's you know too many decisions. They have to go check their calendar, right? First, you want them to get, to get bought in on what you're pitching them, and then you can coordinate the time. Okay. Well, it's interesting because I, I spoke with recently with uh, do you know Eric Qualman? I don't, but everyone's got a different strategy, and I think yeah. they all I think they all work. <laughs> like I don't think anyone's better than anyone. Yeah, else. Well, that's why was, that's why was a question. Yeah, you know, he had suggested actually just the opposite. You know, give three times one near in close one out a little bit further one a week out or something like that or two weeks out so you yeah, give them sort of near their own thing that they think works right um and i think if if your listeners uh try cold email as, as their own process they're going to come up with their own list of things that work as right. well well i'm just trying to give them best practices okay so <laughs> yeah, sure. so at some point then you made the decision that you want to try to hire some salespeople. yeah um that came pretty recently so in the last three months. I, I actually made the mistake and I didn't realize this was a mistake at the time of hiring in the middle of Q4, which uh, <laughs> gave me about 30 days to ramp up before our sales went to zero for two weeks over right, Christmas. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I decided to ramp up because we had hit 35,000 uh, in revenue. It was just me and my co-founder. Um, and we hit that for three months in a row. And I realized that, you know, we could probably, instead of just splitting this money, cause we were just splitting it down the middle 50, 50, right that we could probably just cut both of our salaries and invest in a team. Right. Um, so yeah, I hired, uh, I took Jason Lemkin's advice from Sester and mm-hmm. I hired two salespeople uh, to sell at the exact same time. Um, I found one of them on AngelList, uh, Afnan, um, and I posted up a, uh, actually I actually have a whole YouTube video that goes through that. Um, just search Alex Berman AngelList mm-hmm. or AngelList hiring. Um, and I posted up a, an ad, he responded, um, and then his roommate, and this is why they ended up living together, uh, his roommate actually worked with him at this other startup. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a Series B funded startup where they were just making cold calls and selling all day. Right. So I ended up uh, hiring him as well because I, I needed a second sales guy anyway. Okay. So bringing a lot of light on your face, do you have a shade for? Oh, yeah, maybe. Just... Go ahead. I'm just going to move back. Okay. Is this <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> all right, cool. Um, so you said you decided to hire two based on advice from Jason Lemkin. What, what was that advice? So the advice is if you hire one sales guy um, and he sucks, is it because your product sucks? Is it because the process is bad? Is it because you didn't give him enough things to do? Like there's so many variables. But if you hire two sales guys and they are both bad, you know it doesn't have anything to do with the sales guy, right? It's the process or the product. If they're both good, then you know that... Well, they both, then you they don't both really could know be it. bad. Yeah, they both could be bad. Then you know it's probably the, the product or the process. Or yeah, yeah, you just got unlucky and your hiring process is bad. But if they're both good, you make money and you can hire more. Um, but if one is bad and one is good, this is what Jason wants to look out for. He says, if one is bad and one is good, that means that it's the skill of the salesperson. And then you just fire the one that's bad. And then you have a salesperson that makes money. Okay. Yeah, I'm not, so sure, was, I'm not sure I buy the logic 100%, but yeah, it's, it's <laughs> certainly, certainly if, you're, if you're a VC talking about companies you're giving money to and they've got funds, then that's, that's not an issue. Yeah, but I was doing it bootstrap, so I don't know. I, 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 don't, so, I don't know if that's how do you, idea. Not, so you pay them base and commission? I pay them, yeah, 3000 a month each and then a 15% commission on sales. Okay. Um, and then I pay out everything once a month. So, um, so what was your interview process? So I, I, I do two parts uh, of any interview. So the first one is I'm just on a quick call. I uh, just try to get culture fit, so I try to see if they're cool or not. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll ask them questions about their background. Like basically we'll just conversate like, like me and you are having a conversation right now. So um, definition of cool. Cool. Just like, you know, can we get along? Do we have rapport? Okay. All right. Like, are we, uh, am I, I impressed I, with their It's background? a technical term. I know. I just wanted to. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know. I'm not a big fan of the, uh, of those in depth, in, in depth, like corporate interview questions. Um, I read an article a while ago that I can't remember where I read it, but it said that the entire like uh, vocal like interview process going back and forth is actually not predictive at all of the actual job success. So I try to not put too much uh, emphasis on that. Um, the next part of the trial, I do actually put emphasis. So if they are cool mm-hmm. or if they, they are a good culture fit, then I'll give them an hour or two of work uh, for them to do. So for sales, uh, it's almost always write a cold email campaign for X27 right. um, and come up with 20 people that you could send it to. And then let me know how it goes. And they don't usually have to send the emails. I just want to see uh, what the lead quality is and I want to see what the type of email they write is. So you give them names from your list to send to? No, no, no. Um, I want them to, to do their job. Oh, you want basically. them to build the list, okay. The, yeah, I okay. want them to build the list and I want them to write the emails. Got it, um, got it. But, but this shows you, um, and what I, what I do uh, here is it shows you how they are on their feet, right? Like, are you going to have to train these guys or are they going to be able to pick it up, basically? Mm-hmm. Well, um, the other thing it shows you is uh, about 70% of people aren't going to do the trial, right. um, even if they say they will. Um, and it is, it is usually about, yeah, like two and five. Uh, we'll come back and have answers for this test. Uh, but most of the time, most people just, just will like to leave. Oh, yeah. Come yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you do a, a test of sorts because I think that's one of the things that in sales is most overlooked is people make claims that they can do certain things when you're interviewing them is you have to verify they can do it. Yeah, and we ha- we had to start doing tests because we had two people, um, two people, yeah, that we hired before we hired Afnan because uh, we tried this about a, a month before and we didn't do any tests or anything. One of them quit two weeks after starting, mm-hmm. and then the other one uh, didn't even show up for his first day of work. So they both ghosted <laughs> us. So also, when you're like a fully nomadic company, right. you, know, you just want to make sure that people are reliable as well, and that the seventy percent of people that don't turn in the test. Are obviously, you know, not reliable. Yeah, well, and also you get people to think that they're doing f- work for free for you or something like that. So uh, they get well, all sorts of mind mind games going on. Well, that's the thing. It's another test, right? Because people who who I've had people ask me to pay them, and I have. Paid oh yeah, them. Well, I was gonna say consulting. Like work. one guy that I was doing um, doing this for, it wasn't for sales. It was a marketing hire. Sure. He was like, hey, yeah, I normally do this as consulting. Can you pay me? And I was like, yeah. What do you want? And he's like fifty dollars an hour. And actually, that made me gain a lot of respect for him. Because if he's asking me to pay him, he's going to ask my clients to pay him, right? Like he's—that's yeah. <laughs> a good thing. How do you, how do you work out? Uh, I didn't really like the work, but I paid him anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I can sort of see your point. I mean, I've, I've I've used this for working with clients and hiring you know VP level people, and same same dynamic. I mean, one client, gosh, we had—I don't know—I think we had. About a ninety percent fallout rate from people that that refused to do a test. In which case, it was, in this case, it was giving a presentation. But we had another another client I worked with where we did a national search for VP of Sales, and and uh, yeah, we want people to show us a little thought about, let's say, how to enter a market and what would be their plan about how they'd enter a new market, build up the sales capacity, and so on. Yeah, and we had five finalists, and three of them basically said, "Yeah, why should I do that?" <laughs> they've got you Andy on board they're paying as a consultant you do it <laughs> I was like well that's that's not the point the point is they want to see if you can do it 
Exactly. Uh, Would you rather that laziness come out during the interview process yeah. or six months in right. after the honeymoon phase ends? Right. And one guy said, yeah, well, okay, as long as they pay me what they're paying you. It's like, well, no, you're still missing the point. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I'm good. No, I'm glad you did that because I think that's absolutely essential. So, what did you do in terms of a background check and a reference check? Nothing. Okay. Uh, I, I just looked at the quality of work, you know. Um, if, if I hire scumbags, I feel like they'll weed themselves out. Uh, I'm, I'm a big proponent of hire as fast as possible and then just try to fire people as fast as possible. So to get the 11 that we have now, I probably went through 20 people, you know, having them start full time and then uh, they were fired within two weeks. You think that's sustainable? Do I think that's sustainable? I as think you it's grow? fine. Um, I think it's kind of heartless uh, for sure, um, you know, to cut people's jobs. But as long as, um, as long as my hiring managers, as we scale, frame it correctly, like normally we'll frame it as a trial period. Okay. Uh, so they're, they're expecting to get let go if they don't perform. So I think your... it's totally sustainable. Why not? Why? Actually, yeah, please, please answer, Andy. Why, why wouldn't it be sustainable? <laughs> well, there is an investment of time. If you, if you do have lots of people that just don't cut it early on, fine. Yeah, you fire them quickly, but you've still wasted that time that you might not have wasted had you done a little more due diligence up front. Well, I think it depends on your definition of wasted time, right? Because let's say, um, let's say you hire them you know, it's, it's not like you have to stop the hiring process. Like if you know it's a one month trial, you can hire them. You can still be interviewing other people at the same sure, time sure. and then swap them in. Do you find that you're doing that? Usually. Yeah. Um, we, we're, we've been having to constantly interview cause our company has been growing, mm-hmm. uh, every month. So that's, that was one reason why we had to get like very quick yeah. uh, at our process. Yeah. I just think there comes a point where you, you look at the trade-off of time, even if you still have people in the pipeline, is there's still an expenditure of time that you're making. So let's say it's a month, but if you spend two hours doing a, a good reference check, not just a you know, check-the-boxes reference check, it may save you some time. And there's a couple questions you can ask. We can talk about offline that, that become very, very good questions to ask that to sort of cut through the crap. Yeah. And that, I think that goes back to that original article I, I read like probably a year ago that I can't even remember really. And I base all my decisions on hiring off of. <laughs> it's always good to do that for one article. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but basically uh, the, the takeaway from this article was, you know, you can't really learn much from an actual reference check, right? Because the references people give you, they're either going to be really good or, you know. That's, that's why you don't ask the regular questions. You know, yeah. a, great, a great question to ask and is, and this is for anybody listening, it's, I think they're not listening to a private conversation, but is, you know, you can ask if you're speaking to a former boss, you said, okay, what advice would you give to, let's say the guy's name is John, you know, what advice would you give to John's new boss about, you know, how to coach him, how to manage him. You could pick one of a variety of questions off that, but you know, you sort of frame it in that sort of context is, and then you start getting ideas that aren't, yeah, he is an idiot or yeah, he was super fantastic or whatever. It's just like concerns that get surfaced. And even if you're just, even if you don't act on them, you're at least forewarned, which is, is, uh, you know, could be a time saver for you. Could be. Do you really want to go in with that frame, though? So, like, let's let's say one of the old bosses say that he's lazy or he doesn't get work done effectively. But maybe the reason he was lazy or didn't get work done effectively was because that guy was like a bad manager. And you, you can never, you never know. There yeah. are so many variables, and so all you're trying to do with with hiring over a period of time, I believe, is you're trying to minimize your risks, and the risks run in multiple dimensions. You know, but time is certainly one of them. 
So especially I'm trying to scale quickly. I want to try to minimize the amount of time because what do you do to onboard the people? I mean, usually, so they're working under a manager most of the time, uh, whoever's running their department. So right, but uh, you, for me, I'm the sales manager. Right. So I, I was just onboarding them, you know, by having them on client calls. Okay. Um, so it's fairly informal because you're small and so on, but you know, that necessarily changes as you start scaling up a little bit. So, I guess, but I'm also of the opinion that a lot of companies are too stuffy. You know, like even if you get well, to a thousand employees, like, yeah, sure, you have processes in place, but it, it kind of goes back to what, what Peter was saying on the show. Like, if you hire people that have ADHD and you give them processes, I know every time I've been giving a, a process uh, to follow, um, I, I do worse, actually, than when I'm just given a goal and, and forced to work towards that. So I think having a, a very open-ended training process uh, serves us better. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of companies get that wrong. Undoubtedly, but I do think you reach a point though where, with the size of the companies, it's easy, sort of, at a certain size to hire to a founder's culture. But then it reaches sort of a, a tipping point where it's hard then to impart the culture the same way to everybody that you you hire. And what you get is you get the employees start thinking, "Okay, where's the onboarding program? Right? Who's really going to teach me? You know, where's this?" And so. It's not an issue for you right now, but I mean, it's something to think about as you get just a little bit bigger. It is something to think about. And I'm, I'm actually thinking like, when you said that, I'm thinking, how can I create a screening process where I'm hiring people that don't need to be onboarded? Yeah. Right. Like, sure. why, why would I want to hire somebody who's going to sit there and be like, hey, where's the onboarding process? Right. Exactly. I want somebody who's going to be entrepreneurial and say, okay, exactly. I mean, the goal, let's say the goal is $10 million this year. How do I hit that? <laughs> What's going on? Should I reach out to these other sales guys and like try to learn? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want somebody who's going to be totally. Uh, self-starting, right? But yeah, like you're saying, it probably won't scale. Who knows? And that's a, that's maybe another yeah. mistake that I'm it's, making it's, that I don't it's hard do to get, like it. It's hard to get self-starters forever. Yeah. I mean, that's just it's just the law of the math. It just doesn't work that way. That's um, a, something that I'm learning is I, I'm making a ton of mistakes, and the obvious ones, um, the ones that I've seen other people make in the past, I'm not making. But then it's always like stupid stuff pops up that I... I know in retrospect is like the worst possible move. So like hiring these guys in quarter four was like the stupidest thing probably ever did. My company almost failed because of it. Right. Like if I didn't have a couple Hail Mary closes in the last five days, right. we probably would have gone under. Well, it does concentrate the attention, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And it, yeah. yeah, it stressed me out a lot. But sure. yeah, we, like we survived because of it. Our sales team's stronger and I think our team's stronger because of it. But yeah, like the, that don't hire anybody in Q4. I've never heard that written anywhere. I've never seen an article that that's actually. That. So I'll 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 give the the contrary to that. Yeah. I mean, me personally, before I started my company, actually, I was hired in December for the vast majority of the jobs I held. <laughs> Interestingly, <laughs> and I think that that was primarily because um, hiring managers weren't traveling as much. So unless they hadn't met their year, in which case they're out traveling like mad, but uh, those that had met their number were pretty much close to home. So, yeah, I would say I probably probably had three quarters of jobs I, I had before I started my own company hired in December. I think it has a lot to do again with the company size, though. Like for us, you know, we're there eleven are, people, so you know, yeah, for, these weren't much bigger. They're almost all startups. Um, so it it depends. I guess I it does. Your point, your point is, and I think it was a good one, is when keep recruiting, when you find good people, find a way to bring one. 
Yeah, for sure. Even to the point where your company almost fails because of it. And I, I think the only reason we were stressing is because I wasn't, maybe the mistake I made actually was not planning for those two dead weeks in, in the end of December. Yeah. Maybe it was Wichita. Maybe. I don't think it was Wichita. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, um, what systems, just our last question on this point, then we'll move on to the last segment of the show is, so what do sales guys remotely, what system are you using, CRM system or sales development platforms or anything are you using? Sure. So I do all my communication over messages, so mm-hmm. just text messages. Uh, we use base CRM mm-hmm. uh, to track our deal flow, to track everything in, in uh, where it stands in the funnels. Um, and then we send all our cold emails using Yesware. Yes, uh, I really like Yesware because it's got... Uh, a lot of automation. So right. you can write all your cold emails out and then it'll send them basically on a drip. So like send this right. after three days and this right. after five days. Okay, perfect. All right. So Alex, uh, the last segment of the show, I've got some standard questions. I ask all my guests and I know you're familiar with these cause you said you were just listening to some episodes. So, um, first question is a hypothetical scenario in which you, gosh, it's sort of what we just talked about. You, Alex, have just been hired as VP of sales at a company of sales of sort of hit a rough spot and uh, you've just been hired to hit the sales reset button, get things back on track. So what two things could you do your first week on the job that would have the biggest impact? So the first thing that I would do um, is try to be on as many calls as possible. So whether I'm sitting in or I'm like trying to BS my way through the product, I would try to either book as many calls as possible or just sit in on every single call that was Mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Book back to back. Because there's there's not like you can't learn anything if you're not talking to customers. Right. And I know that's kind of a uh, that's kind of a weird thing to say. Like I know a lot of people say talk to the department heads and like learn what's going on and all this stuff. But uh, when I first started at Dom and Tom, my first day, actually the first hour of the first day, uh, my onboarding was me sitting in a meeting mm-hmm. uh, where somebody was selling apps to another guy. Right. And actually, uh, the sales guy turned to me and asked if I had any questions for the client, and I had to make up one on the spot. Um, and <laughs> I don't know, that's how I've always learned. So sure. yeah, that, that's the first thing I would do. And then the second thing um, is, I think, I, well, I would ask the business owner what's, what's wrong. Because mm-hmm. um, I know a lot of people say, you know, talk to the employees, figure out what's wrong, do an actual program like that. But I found that learning the business owner's assumptions uh, will actually paint the picture a lot better, right? So if, if the business owner or the entrepreneur, whoever your boss is, mm-hmm. if he points out a bunch of stuff, then you can have a plan for actually confirming that, right? Like yep. if they point out like three or four things are wrong, then you know what teams to actually talk to. Okay. Uh, start your search to, to fix the sales issues. All right. Excellent. All right. Some rapid fire questions for you then. You can give me one word answers or elaborate if you wish. So the first one is when you... Alex are selling. What's your most powerful sales attribute? I ask a lot of questions. I always try to uh, approach the customer. Um, my, my mantra used to be, and actually still is, uh, what would you recommend if the customer was your friend? So I always try to figure out if they were my friend, would I recommend this service? Mm-hmm. Um, and if I wouldn't, what would I change about the service? And that helps improve the product. Or mm-hmm. if I also, if I wouldn't, what questions do I need to ask to try to break that mold and, and figure out if they're a better fit? Okay. So that's my mantra right there. All right. That's a long mantra. It's hard to chant that in the morning. So, what would you uh, recommend if the client was your friend? <laughs> okay, perfect. I used to write it on a piece of paper. I had it up by my desk. Yeah, it's a good affirmation to use in the morning, too. So who's your sales role model? Uh, sales role model? Um, I really like Grant Cardone. I, I know my sales style is like almost the exact opposite of him, but I just like the way that he's just like super fired up. Mm-hmm. Okay, Grant Cardone. So what's one book you'd recommend every salesperson read? Uh, 
I think 10x rule by Grant uh, okay. is really good. All right. Why do you like that one? Uh, I only listen to audiobooks. So the audiobook on it got me super fired up. And the main idea in that book is any goal that you have in life uh, is too small and you need to 10x the goal. And I always think that's amazing. Uh, when I was at, at Dom and Tom, my quota was uh, 750,000. Mm-hmm. And I wrote 700, uh, I wrote 7.5 million as my quota for the year. And because of that, I ended up selling, you know, uh, everyone uh, made fun of me. My sales manager was laughing because I had it up on the, on the right, uh, right. board and I was racing it as I was going. Uh, but I ended up closing 1.125 million, which was a, about double what 750,000 sure, sure. Uh, And I think in part because the goal was so high. All right. Love it. All right. Last question. What music is on your playlist? What music's on my playlist? I like to listen to a lot of like real oldies. So like Bing Crosby, um, wow. Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald. And then also, uh, I've been listening to a lot of like, uh, like Maroon 5 recently um, has been <laughs> what I've been playing. Okay. Uh, why Maroon 5? That's sort of an interesting juxtaposition with uh, Bing Crosby and Ella. Well, what I like about Maroon 5 is that uh, they're like the most corporate band ever. So like every song, uh, you can tell that they like bought it from somebody else because they're all in completely different styles. So I always like to listen and like think about you know, who sold them the song? Like, why did why did they go after this song? Like, did, why did they hire the producers? I like the stories behind music a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, I think Adam Levine does write a fair amount of their music, but I think he has a lot of partners too. So, yeah, he must have some good producers or something, or like various producers. Like, he must yeah. have a lot of different partners. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there is. All right. Well, Alex, great to talk with you. Great to have you on the show. So, tell people how they can find out more about Experiment 27 and connect with you. Besides, sure. besides uh, well, traveling to Wichita. <laughs> yeah, come on, come on down to Wichita. Uh, the easiest way to contact us if you want to work with us or see our services uh, for marketing uh, for a digital agency is experiment27.com. And if you want free videos on sales training, I mean, also insight, I go, I go deep into like what's going on with the business and stuff like that. Uh, that's b2bsalestraining.org. Okay, perfect. And thank you again for being on the show. And friends, thank you for spending time with us today. Remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that, join my conversations with people like my guest today, Alex Berman, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 